Hello, I'm Melody Asani. I'm Julie Burns Walker. Together, we welcome you to the Butterfly Forecast. So, Smishy, what was it that you wanted to talk about today? You know, we've been bringing up death in a couple of our episodes. Mm -hmm. And I really feel like it's such an important aspect of death to pass beyond our fear of it and our acceptance of it. And maybe talk a little bit about the fruits of death. Because death is our ultimate state, I feel like. If we discussed that, if everyone understood that death is not just inevitable, as in our morbid connotation like death and taxes are inevitable, but rather death as graduation day, you know what I'd love to talk about? And actually, you're a very good person to unpack this because you've thought a lot about it, and that is... When someone very close to you passes away, how has it impacted you? Because my humble awareness of death is that death is the graduation day for the person who passes, but it's also evolutionary for people who are attached and connected to that person who passed. It cannot help but to impact us and you know, at the beginning, we're going to go through so much grief and loss when that person is really dear to us or important to us. But then what happens? When are we going to talk about what happened after your person left this plane? And now you carry on the relationship from here, but also your life as it was impacted by them and as it is impacted by their absence. What do you think about that? I think for me, with losing my dad, and I guess this is only really applies to people who have lost a parent or a parental figure like that, I think so much depends on what your relationship was like with them and how old you were when it happened, maybe how old they were when it happened. And all of those factors come into play. And as I get older, I realize more and more how so many of my beliefs and thoughts and relationships are sort of informed by that death. Can you unpack that a little bit? Like, can you talk about your awakening to who you were without your dad? I don't know how to do that. <laughs> I mean, well, for example, I love talking about process. I think process is the most important thing that we don't give attention to, which is why a lot of people have magical thinking and are trapped in it, because there's no process that tells you, well, how do I go from here where I'm stuck to a place where I can see where I'm going and I can see who I am and what I bring? And death being so very final, you know, they don't get to redo it. So, for example, did you have a sense of the possibility of your father dying before he did pass away? I'm sure on some level, but I didn't want to acknowledge it. But it doesn't matter, right? 
even if there are stirrings. There's always stirrings, even if it is, uh, for example, if somebody has been ill and they don't recover and it gets prolonged and you see their energy fade and they begin to transform physiologically. Mm-hmm. You know, a part of you starts sparking with the possibility that they could be leaving. You know, they could heal later, and that would also give you new incentive to address that relationship differently, you know, more sacredly. But when you do have a sense of it, it starts a transformation process. Because now we have to do all the inventory that we need to do with that person. So if there's unfinished business, we start to tend to that. Hmm. Explain that. Well, for example, if you struggled with them in relationship and you now are aware that they're going to be here briefly, Hmm. depending on the role they play in your life and to the degree you are aware of it, you will change something. Something will change. Perhaps you'll start your forgiveness work, forgiveness of yourself, forgiveness of them. You will begin to do what it takes to bring a completion. A lot of times we hear the word closure, but I don't believe closure applies to death. But completion in all that you could play out in that relationship does. I know I've shared this with you, but a year before my mother passed away, I knew she was going to pass away, but there was no physical reason for me to think it. So I pestered her a lot about visiting the doctor again and again and again, because my discomfort was growing instead of being ameliorated uh, every time she visited the doctor. And even though she would assure me, no, they said, I'm great, I'm healthy, you know, um, relax. Everything in me felt that iconically, everything was a countdown to her leaving this world. So I had to check in with myself. Is there something I didn't finish with my mom? Do we have unfinished business of our childhood? Do I have things I wished I had told her? Are there things I wish she had told me? But as I really checked myself, I actually didn't find with her that I had unfinished business. How old are you when your mom passed? Uh, Late 20s. And so I was very fortunate. You were only 10 when your dad passed, which is entirely different. You were in your developmental years. You were still forming. Mm. That's a much harder loss to recover from. I think for myself, because my mom was notoriously a large persona, (laughs) larger than life persona in every way. So that's what I was ill-prepared for. How is I going to coexist in a world where she did not exist? What was my role now if I was her invisible helper all the time? You had nobody to stand behind anymore. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. Or hide behind, really. Exactly. It was terrifying. Absolutely terrifying. Mm-hmm. And I never had that conversation with her, which she would have been happy to engage in. Like, what am I going to do, Mama, when you're not here? But she actually passed within a three-week period from beginning to end of whatever got set in motion. And during that time, she wasn't lucid for the majority of the time. So I was being prepared, 
And I had to start my process. And so that's what I'm asking you. What happened to you? Hmm. (laughs) You're like, "Uh, next. (laughs) Next topic. Is this very serious? But (laughs) Well, I don't know what happened then. I mean, I know what happened, but I don't know. I don't think I had as, uh, as much awareness as you did. Well, what about in hindsight? What if I ask you, I'm curious about your process. At at a certain point, you must have thought, oh, without dad here, this means I'm going to have to what? Oh, so much. Well, I think that's what I'm faced with now, which is the conversations that we've been having, is that I've realized how many illusions I've had about my dad's passing, about myself. So all the thoughts of, you know, if my dad hadn't died, then I would be blah, 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 or I wouldn't have to be blah, 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 or I wouldn't have to deal with this. Or, And I'm recognizing how I've been living by some of those illusions. And it's made me think about how many of us have illusions about death or things that we buy into about ourselves when we lose somebody so close to us. Like, where do we go? What are, what are the beliefs we adopt? And for me, for example, like my dad was an artist and Culturally speaking, there's all kinds of things that I was picking up as a young child. And so I thought that by my dad passing and my mom being a single mom, that maybe there was some level of shame around it. Like now she's single and those poor kids. I took on that illusion of like, yeah, poor us. You know, if he hadn't died, then maybe we would, I would have had the opportunity to be something different. I wouldn't have to be the one that takes care of my mom in the way that I do. Like he would have been here to do his job or, um, you know, my dad was an artist. Like if he was alive, I could, he, he, he could be helping me right now. And he was the one more so that I felt similar to in a lot of ways. And so I was like, well, if he's, if he was alive or if he didn't die, then I would have had more of myself at a younger age and I would have got to it. Like maybe I wouldn't have wasted my time so much trying to figure out who I am. Mm, That makes so much sense. That's so powerful. That's it, isn't it? It's endless because it's all about that. If they hadn't left, I would be fill in the blank. But not only that, it's also their work. Like the stuff that they didn't do that you take on. And now you have to do that work. And there could be parts of that that are actually true. You know, like when someone leaves a family, you all have to fill in the role that they had provided on multiple levels. Maybe it's not so pronounced, and that's why we suffer anxiety from it. It's not spoken. Well, now that he's gone You need to take care of your mom. In other cultures, spoken or not spoken, it would have been your brother. The same-sex child of the parent that passed has to step into their role. But because he was your younger brother, 
you stepped into that role. And then, of course, the dilemma is nobody's there to say, okay, Melody, we don't need you to do this anymore. Thank you for filling in that gap. But I feel we've got this now, you know? I relate to that in a very different relationship context because um, my friend, Deborah Christensen, who collaborated with me in the Oneness Model series, we wrote them, we edited them uh, over a number of years, and she was supposed to go and give all the workshops because she loved being in the public, and she loved speaking, and she had a gift with it. And she died right after we edited our last book, like weeks later, suddenly. And all of a sudden, I was like, whoa, wait a minute, there is no work anymore. Well, it doesn't matter. The books don't matter because nobody's here to carry out the actual expression of them. (laughs) And for a very long time, very much like my mom, I felt invisible And I felt apologetic to the world. Like, I'm sorry, world, the real person died. And all you have is me. But it's paradoxical because I wrote the book and she designed the books. But the concepts came through me. And so I still had the information on the inside, even if there hadn't ever been books. That never occurred to me for some years. I grieve hard. I grieve long, even though I know full well that that soul is thriving in the next world. Their work has continued. It is graduation day for them. I celebrate them. It's me I grieve for. And the world, because now you know, perception is, oh, I can't carry it out the way the world needs it. So that's tricky. But eventually, you start to do that inventory now not about them, but about you. And you have to say, who am I now as a result of this person leaving? Because you become stronger. You unfold aspects of yourself you never would have unpacked if you didn't have to. <laughs> you know? is <laughs> you're so much happier in your previous role and context. Oh, this is my purpose. I'm going to stay within this context. Uh, Yeah, it's almost so rude. It's like they were the ones that were good at this. They were the ones that were supposed to do this. Well, and then also, when do you know if it's your role to take on or not? Or if it's your work to take on or not? Do you know? Yeah, but you only know when it becomes clear. If there's no one to fulfill a role and you're witnessing what needs to happen, a purpose, You will funnel in, find it in yourself, and express it to the best of your ability. Now, you may evaluate it, you know, on your own personal level of inventory, you know, what that looked like when you express it. But nevertheless, it is rather extraordinary that you arose and did something that you previously wouldn't have thought you were capable of. Mm -hmm. It is exciting. That's why I think that if we slow it down, it's graduation day for the person who passes, and in a very strange way, evolutionary day for you. You are about to go through transformation. 
and you become something more. And also, if you have a close relationship with a person who passed and you're able to penetrate beyond your experience of grief and loss and your own personal pain, you'll still feel their presence with you. Whether you believe in such things or not, is I hear daily people's experiences who had no belief whatsoever that there is life after this one. And they have no problem conveying, oh yeah, I felt, you know, I felt my dad when I was doing X, Y, or Z, or I smelled my mother's perfume, or for example, my sister who passed quite young, uh, she was quite a prankster. And people who are close to her, who were very close to her, have said that when they are going through something where they know she would have disapproved of them, they have felt someone pull a prank on them or trip them and they turn around and nobody's there. And I would say, oh, that's so her. That's just like her to wake you up that way. Not a kiss on the cheek, but a thump on the back. (laughs) I know, it gets your brain going whirly-twirly. <laughs> There's so many things whirling through my brain right now. Well, it's interesting because we've talked about like, you know, my dad passed when I was 10 and I've maybe had like four dreams about him. He never comes to me. And I wonder why that is. Like, why is it that some people are feel really close after they die and some people just feel really far or close in different ways or is there any anything that you have insight on with that well my observation of it is that and we have to remember first of all and i i think this would be so extraordinary if we were taught this from early childhood on and that is if we understood that life actually is eternal from the beginning. So if you live one minute in utero, if you were a miscarriage, or if you live to be like my great auntie Rue, 105, we don't know how long we'll be here, but we know for sure that life is eternal. And we are, this place is our workshop. This is not the gallery, it's the workshop because It passes quickly. Speak to anyone elderly and they'll say, life passes like a twinkling of an eye. So if we knew that, I think it would be different already because we would expect death to happen around us. And partially, we would stay very attuned in our relationships. I don't think we would let relationships go sour because it's such a big cleanup job if someone passes away before you've cleaned up your side of the relationship with someone. So the other part of it is if we trust the other person, you know, who we were close to, we trust them, then we know they're with us. They wouldn't abandon us. Whatever connected us here is love. It's not actual physical threads. And so when people pass, of course, If their presence would just unearth you all over again and put you back into grief, and now you're distracted from your life purpose, they're not going to come in a dream or their presence. I say this all the time about my loved ones who passed all kind of briefly at the same period of time. 
I call them very rude frequently. I, <laughs> I tell them they're very rude, rude souls, because they don't visit, they don't send notices, they don't come in dreams. But I know why, because I'm so doggone attached. And if they showed up, then I'd be so enamored, I'd want to stretch it out, spend more time, not, you know, it wouldn't just be a message that they'd be delivering. I'd be like kids who want to drink a water at bedtime. But wait, <laughs> wait, one more thing. Don't you feel that way too? If you're talking about your dad, if your dad came, you wouldn't want him to go away. Yeah, it would probably make me more sad. And yet what's very interesting is one thing I am aware of from my near-death experience experiences and that vantage point is that nothing happens without purpose. If there is a dream of your loved ones, even if we think it's attributed to our own psyche, the state of our own psyche and our processing, it doesn't matter what originates the need for it to come about. It is always useful. You know, if your loved one represents a symbol to you, if they represent the tarot and they are an iconic card and that's what they represent, is still very powerful. It immediately makes you do inventory. Where am I? Where am I in my life? Just like we were talking about on your birthday, it makes you ask yourself, wait, how old am I? And what does that mean to me? It's not what does it actually mean? It's what does it mean to me? I have a friend and she had also a really long near-death experience. And her mom died when she was 36. So when she was 35, she was like a wreck the whole year. And I finally asked her, I was like, as we were nearing her birthday, I was like, but you're not afraid of death or dying. So why are you a wreck? She said, because... I don't know. Is this it? Does this mean this is my time? This is my year. I don't have any more chances. I don't have any more opportunities to do my work. Am I supposed to be saying goodbye already at 35? She didn't think she'd outlive her mom. Right. And I was like, oh, man, that's a whole different kind of work to do. <laughs> <laughs> you know, do I have the same destiny as my mom? Yeah. How do we live a life where we incorporate the idea of death into it? Like, how do we, how do we become those people? Because I, I do know, I've heard stories of people that just know it's coming in a healthy way. And they almost like pack their bags and put their affairs in order. There's no reason for them to. It's not like there's a specific thing that they, somehow they have some kind of knowing in them. Um, it's almost like it's part of their life or it, it just feels like part of the cycle. How do you become that kind of person where you, you know, incorporate death like as a, not as a good thing necessarily, it's not good or bad, but just like as a part of your journey that it's coming and welcome it in a healthy way when it, when it is your time. So she, I love that question. Wow. I think by just continuing our practice in life, our spiritual practice. Keep staying on the path, your path, and not other people's version of you or your path. You know that expression, don't believe the hype. <laughs> you know, it applies to you too. Don't be so wowed with yourself or disgusted with yourself. Mm. It's just your path. 
All you can do is offer your best on a daily basis and let go at the end of the day. Because in death, you can't take it with you. So why not round up the end of your day like you're dying? It's a good day to die. I did everything I could do today. I couldn't figure it out beyond this. And then you have to trust that no one knows you like you do. Mm. Now, there might be people who have little glimmerings of you that you have forgotten about yourself, but it always should take you into a sense of peace and the sense of being loved and the sense of knowing you are equally valuable to every other human here. That's what's the great equalizer in life, living your life with that sense. Of course, you're being guided and led and We need to get deeper so we see confirmations. You don't have to have your bags packed. Also, you have to trust you will know what to do when that time comes. Just like, you know, it's very, very helpful to have midwives when you're giving birth. Very helpful. But if you had to, you would birth a baby because nature will take over. The baby is going to come. So it could be easier and it can be a whole lot harder. And the same is true with our deaths. We can be in denial about the signs or we can acknowledge them. But maybe it's not conscious. We don't have to be conscious about it. Some people are. Gosh, Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., he saw his own death even the night before his speech, the day before he passed away so violently and unwelcomed. Yet, there is something quite mystical that Dr. King saw already. He had been to the top of the mountain, and he told us, and he said he was no longer, he was not afraid. So, isn't that the best example for all of us? To not be afraid of our own death? But that means we can't be afraid of our life. We can't be afraid of what must happen to evolve. So if there are things we haven't been addressing, death is such a beckoner to address it. I'm sorry, I'm hopping around a little bit, but I know we've also talked so much about projection. And I think it's also so fascinating how much people project on you, even in your death. I walked into this toy store the other day to buy something for my friend's daughter's birthday. And um, the woman who worked at the toy store was just a wreck. She was just crying, crying and kept apologizing. And it turns out that this man she knew had committed suicide. And it was just so interesting to me, all the things that she was saying about him like projections of like, but I thought he was so happy. And I would, I don't know why anybody would do such a thing. And of of course, like we never know why somebody would take their own life, but all the things that she projected on him of what she thought he was um, that really have nothing to do with the reality of things because he took his own life you know, who knows what was happening. But what do you think about when people do think that they're done with their lives and decide to take it on their time? Well, I'm sorry, I know it's a hard. No, 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 no. And I want to come back to your other question that preceded about projections, you know, because I think you're showing like a bridge between these 
two things. Because from the story you just shared with us, someone was shocked because really what they're articulating is they didn't know this person in their depths. Yeah. And the projection, I'm sure that the person who succeeded in taking their own life was experiencing was that nobody really knew how much they were longing to complete their journey here. Mm -hmm. And people were projecting how happy they were. So that, that must have been very difficult for that person. I would never make a broad brush statement about anyone who, out of desperation, cannot see the end, the vista of their journey here in a natural way. I would never make a judgment. But I, what I would say is the sad part is that there weren't at least one person, there wasn't one person who can accompany them through this difficult passage where they believed that the only answer and the only conclusion was to take their own life and not trust in the process of life. And in my very humble observation, I, I genuinely mean that. Developmentally, we humans go through a lot of stages. And we know that like people who, you know, have connected like to the Giselle Institute of Human Development. Like we know what does a newborn baby do? And then what do they do at this stage? And what about when they're teething? And what about when they turn two and so on? We know iconically kind of on the map of life what generally we should be going through developmentally and physiologically. But actually we haven't studied very much once we reach maturity. And so I think psycho-emotionally, spiritually, mentally, with all the modalities, sight, audio, analysis, verbal, logic, kinesthetic, we should be looking at each person in all the ways we develop so that we can be more connected. And also, so we can acknowledge people when we see them grow when we see them evolve. What a privilege to be near a person and see them go through stages. Now, if we don't even know what we go through, then we can't see where a person is stuck. And I also think culturally, ever since the industrial age, <laughs> we've gotten faster and become less community and therefore relationship and familial focuses, you know, focused and more materially focused and production-oriented ever since the industrial age. So now add technology on top of that. So we really have become a culture of isolationists, I reckon. So we're disconnected. So many people I hear for superficial reasons are disconnected from their parents, their siblings, their cousins, for no reason, just because whatever they deem it important not understanding that's the link in society that must be strengthened so that everyone prospers. Because then we could go outside that and assist the generality so much easier. Now, if we miss all those signs and then someone gets caught in that isolationist web, you can see how easy it would be to misperceive where you are in life because you don't have any mirrors. 
There's no one to look at you and go, oh no, you're going to be okay. What? Tell me everything. What? You're feeling this? Well, have you looked at this about you? Because I notice you have this quality and this extraordinary gift. Or you never actually studied this. Have you ever thought about going back to school or studying with someone or reading about this? Whatever. Whatever it is, I know that there are very few reasons why a person should be supported when they already are hastening the end of their life. And I think the number one thing should be if their quality of life, their pain, what they're dealing with, their illness, their disease has no solution and it's worn them out and they've lived the majority of their life without functioning. I could really appreciate why a person would go there, even though who knows the advancements of sciences and all the extraordinary things happening in medicines, there could be a solution. And then they'd have that privilege to catch up in certain ways in their life. I just don't think that we've ever acknowledged each other as important, that every person is important and every stage needs to happen. I actually had that privilege with my mom. My mom was thinking about, she had told me, she was thinking about if life got too difficult at some point that she would consider these clubs out there that you could join where they assist you to end your life. And so we had a really difficult conversation because I was like, Mama, what if, if you waited a little bit longer, it would happen anyway, but naturally when you're ready. And we went back and forth and back and forth and and it intensified our relationship for a while. And then what was incredible to me is actually how she died, the doctor said, is she like flipped a switch. Like a part of her was ready because of life circumstances and what they represented to her. And that's why I found that extraordinary when I asked him afterwards. And he said, Julie, all I can think of, all I can surmise after examining her is she literally uh, automatically flipped a switch and life ended. And there are many cultures who have taught that. Did that make it easier for you at all? Well, easier in some ways and harder in others. Because, you know, I'm like, wait a minute, but what about me? I still needed a mother. You know, I hadn't finished so much of my work. I hadn't even started my work. Mm. And, of course, she was my biggest fan. I didn't want to do it without my mom. Yeah. (laughs) You know, because there's not that big persona to say, that's right. That's how you do it. This makes me think of the Lion King. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Yes. So she has this really a big talk today. I wonder how... How do you think we could start conversations to prepare people that actually our lives are eternal? We live forever, but not here. Hmm. I don't know, because I'm still trying to really wrap my head around that myself. I mean, I, I believe it's true. I feel it. But it's hard for your brain to grasp something like that and to understand it. But I do think that, well, for me personally, I think doing the work around dealing with the people that have passed that are close to you has gotten me closer to that point, oddly. 
and has made me have more peace about my own death and my own relationships and the eternal nature of, of us. I, I think it's important. And then I think dealing with the things that they left you with here, dealing with those illusions and dispelling them so that you're not beholden to this pattern that's not real. Yeah. Well, and also perhaps if we move away from fear of death and stop thinking, you know, that we have to, that death is going to short circuit all the things we've hoped to achieve in our life. What if death not only isn't a short circuit to it, but is the enhancement of purpose without limitations? I really wish that we looked at deaths like a gemstone. It has many facets to it. You know, if death comes via injustice, then we need justice before we can get over that death. And even like what you brought up, Smushi, about someone taking their own life, you know, if you're close to someone who took their life, We suffer because we want to know who made it so impossible for my loved one to keep living. You see, we're still focused on the injustice, so we have to. We need to satisfy our understanding of what would bring justice. But sometimes what happens is that we arise in their place, or we make a tribute to them because of their untimely death. Or we make a tribute to them, and we create justice in their name. And that's going to be the only thing that allows us to get over their death. Mm, I love that. Yeah. Because, you know, we are born into different situations. And we are all born into various combinations of justice and injustices and opportunities and lack of opportunities Where is the balance in this world? How does death play a role of creating balance into this seeming paradox and start allowing us to recognize the priceless value that one moment of a mysterious life on earth really brings? If we only could see like when I had my near-death experiences, if we could see what one soul brings to the whole planet just by being alive for one minute, one day, one month, one year, we would be in awe. Mm. If you knew what you had was rare, you would never waste it. Well, Smushi, wow. Thanks for unpacking a very difficult conversation. We understand the mystery of life and death from a spiritual vantage point. But when we're really deep in the furrows of our path, and we're just digging the path as we go, it's really difficult to understand that death actually is the prize at the end. Smishi, thank you for that perspective. 
Sushi, thank you for engaging in a difficult conversation. <laughs> yeah, of course. No, I love going there with you. What a beautiful day we have had discussing death again. <laughs> and that's our show. Thank you so much for joining us. You can find the Butterfly Forecast every Tuesday with a new episode available wherever you do your podcasting. Apple, Spotify, Google, Stitcher. Hope to see you then. We'll see you next time. 